Let's do that hockey. Welcome to another episode of Dauber Prospects Radio. I'm your host, Peter Harling, and today's episode is going to be all on the Anaheim Ducks. I did my top 10 prospect ranking report for MyNHLTradeRumors.com. Highly recommend you go and check that article out. And uh, the criteria I used for that ranking was they got to be under 25 games played and under 25 years old. And I uh, have invited Eddie from the Forever Mighty podcast to join me and kind of nitpick my list and maybe we can compare it to his and just kind of go through uh, the top 10 and then plus a few more of the Anaheim Ducks top prospects. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Eddie. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's nice to uh, to finally get back and, and talk about hockey. It starts starts to feel real that it's uh, it's coming back in October finally. Yeah, it has been it's been a big hiatus for for me, uh, and uh, it's been a bit of a bit of an interesting long summer. Uh, COVID lifting up, it feels like the whole world's opening back up again. So I'm I'm happy to be jumping back into it with both feet into the hockey world here. Um, so let's uh, let's let's talk about the Ducks overall first. Uh, they're a team that didn't have a great finish to the season last year, so they got themselves a really nice high draft pick, third overall uh, this summer. But they do have uh, a really nice young core on their roster already of players that are either established or establishing themselves. Uh, and they've got, I think, some pretty good players in their system as well. And then they added a couple more at the draft. So for a team that finished third last overall, I think they're looking at a really fast turnaround. That's just my opinion. I, I imagine being a Ducks guy, you're you're probably pretty bullish on them too, right? Yeah, it, it's nice to see. I mean, I mean, you know, I wouldn't say everything is going the way I, I would hope it is. I, I think the turnaround and obviously, you know, having a guy like Zegers fall to you and having Jamie Drysdale kind of make the transition a lot quicker than we expected is definitely a plus and you kind of think okay maybe this could happen you know one or two years quicker than we expected uh but then you know you still see them hanging on to, to guys like josh manson and ricard raquel and looking at extending possibly one or both of them and you wonder how quickly this might turn around but hey like if, if zegris and, and drysdale are going to come out next year and you know zegris puts up who knows 40 50 60 points and, be, and becomes a top six forward quicker than we expected and jamie drysdale molds into an a top four defenseman you know maybe it's not the best the, the worst thing to keep these guys around so i i have no complaints w- with the transition i i think you know the top end prospects that the ducks do have right now it, it, there's a lot of depth there and, and there's a lot of signs to, to things kind of turning the turning the corner a little bit quicker than we all thought yeah, so we're recording this episode on the 2nd of September, 21, and I, I wrote this, our top 10 article, about a week or two ago. Uh, if I wrote it a month from now, I don't think the top two guys would make the list, and Zgrass and Drysdale, because as I mentioned off the top, my cutoff was 25 games played. They're both under that right now, but, like, barely. Uh, so I don't think there's much much question that they're going to be given a lot of opportunities to crack the roster. One of the things I thought was interesting about last season with the COVID conditions on the season, and this might not resonate so much with the Ducks, but I thought we would just kind of bring it up real quick, is the taxi squad was a a new addition to NHL rosters. And I found that a lot of teams' taxi squads put on prospects um, on their their reserve, on their, their taxi squad. So now these guys aren't getting, you know, good reps in the AHL. They're not even getting poor minutes in the NHL. They're just practicing and traveling with the team on the taxi squad, but not actually getting any any game action. Uh, and I did the Arizona rankings as well, and that'll be on the next episode with Craig Morgan. But one player on Arizona that I thought was really victimized by that was Barrett Hayton. Um, I, you know, being in, in Canada, didn't see any Ducks games really last season. Were there players that you felt their development got a little bit stunted by being um hidden on the taxi squad yeah you know i i was worried about that going into the year because the ducks did have you know a lot of fords throughout the roster guys who were on nhl contracts you know guys like carter rowney and 
and Nate Delory and Derek Grant and guys you you just kind of feel like would have to have a roster spot, especially in the bottom six. But I, I feel like the Ducks actually handled it pretty well. I know Zegras spent a few games on there every now and then. Uh, so did Jamie Drysdale as well. Uh, guys like Jacob Perot every now and then uh, after getting some game time it, with the San Diego goals would find himself on the taxi squad. But it was really only ever for like one or two games. And you know, most of the time, it, it was just some of the veteran fours, guys like Sonny Milano or Alexander Volkov or, or guys like that who would find themselves on the taxi squad. I know Josh Mahura might, if we had to pick a victim of the taxi squad, he might be the guy who didn't get as much reps as I would have liked to see. But when we're looking at the prospects and guys like Zegras and Drysdale and Perot and even Lucas Dostal, uh, they only spent a handful of games each on the taxi squad. And a lot of times it was more so just to get some other guys some game time and give those guys a rest or or sometimes you know lead to a promotion uh, later on in the week and, and get these guys uh, some reps in the NHL. So luckily, I, you know, the Ducks handled it a lot better than uh, than I expected they would. Yeah, I think that's the way, in hindsight, the best way that the taxi squad would have been handled by having players that are good but are basically kind of tweeners, right? Like they're yeah. they're 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 already developed into what they are, and they're maybe really good AHL players or or fringe NHL players. They're you know you're talking about guys like Josh Mahura. He doesn't have, I would say, a tremendous amount of. NHL upside he, he could be an NHL player but he'll never be a number one D so if you've got yeah. someone like Jamie Drysdale play him on your roster and give him full minutes and if he doesn't make the cut then give him full minutes in San Diego yeah and, and I, I'm glad they did that and and because I was worried that especially with Drysdale you know Zegris kind of showed he was way too good for the AHL his start down there was kind of what you all expected what everybody hoped he would do, and that was dominate the first few games he had down there. He got a, a stint up in the NHL on the wing, went back down to San Diego uh, to, to kind of transition to center, and then came back and finished the season with the Ducks at center. And he didn't really spend any time on the taxi squad, which was nice, but I was a bit worried with Drysdale. Obviously, we didn't know what was going to go on with the OHL season, and, and I figured, you know, if he doesn't adjust to San Diego, even if he does, tries to go up to the NHL level and it just doesn't work. This could be a guy they just place on the taxi squad just to practice with NHL guys and get used to the environment and then eventually go back down to Erie. So it was nice to see them not do that with him. And obviously he impressed more than everybody expected. So it's not like he he didn't deserve to be up on the Ducks roster at that point. But yeah, you know, if you wanted to see a guy there, if you're okay with seeing a guy there, I think Josh Mahura you know, as much as I'd like to see him play, you're right. His upside isn't at the same level of a Zegras or a Drysdale or even a Perot in San Diego, where you know you're you're really worried about him losing time by spending it on the taxi squad. It's almost in his case more beneficial to be practicing with the NHL squad and maybe not playing in the AHL at 23, where we we know what he can do down there. And getting some more reps at the NHL level, I think, is good for a guy like that. Yeah, I totally agree, uh, and I think the Ducks handled it pretty well too. Let's uh, let's tuck into our top ten lists, and why don't we start at the top and and work our way down? So our top two guys were the same. We both had Zgrass at one and Drysdale at two. Was that a clear cut one and then a clear cut two, or were you, when you were making your list, were you kind of like as back and forth as I was? Because I was kind of seeing it both ways different times yeah I, I think if you you had to ask me at the beginning of the year i think zegris would have been the clear-cut number one but as the year progressed and drysdale kind of shocked everybody by sticking at the nhl level and obviously without the ohl season coming into effect that that helped his case a lot where he played in the ahl but you know looking at it now it was a kind of a flop back and forth because you know i was just so impressed with jamie drysdale as one of the youngest if not the youngest defenseman in the league for most of the year what he was able to do and, and on a team that's not great and he didn't really have the best partners where he was paired with throughout the year either so for me you know it was really really close to putting jamie drysdale at one but just the pure upside for Trevor Zegers and what he could become and what he could mean for this team in the future. It, it, I just couldn't not have him at number one. He just had to be my number one guy. Like this guy is the future franchise player. We look at obviously Corey Perry's gone now. Ryan Getzlaff almost left and he's back for one or two years now before he ends up retiring. 
Zegris is the guy to take the mantle from them and and be that franchise player. And and when we're looking at who could be, you know, the leading the way for the Ducks in the future, he he just has to be the number one guy at this point. Yeah, I mean, he was picked uh, ninth overall, so he's got the draft pedigree. And you know, since his draft year, he dominated the NCAA for a season with. Uh, with the Boston Terriers, uh, won a gold medal at the World Juniors, and then he turned pro last year, and he had you know 21 points in 17 games in the A. That's incredible. And then he went on to get 13 more points in 24 NHL games. Like, I don't think there's any question that you know he's going to be their their number one franchise center. Um, the only question I think I have is is does that start when the puck drops at the start of the season, or is it established by the end of the season because it's going to happen very very soon or or soon yeah i i think it is at the start of the season because if you look at the way the ducks handled his progression uh, last year it it was kind of away from the norm of what they've done with young centers in the past when you look at ricard raquel and isaac lindstrom and what they did with those guys right out of the draft or when they made it to the NHL, is they threw him right at center. And it was live or die at center until you can't do it anymore. Prove you can't do it, and we'll push you to the wing. And that's what we saw with Ricard Raquel when eventually he ended up shifting to the wing. William Carlson was another guy that the Ducks threw right at center uh, before trying him on the wing. And with Zegras this year, they took that different approach where for his first handful of games, uh, his first call-up from San Diego, he played on the wing. And it was only on the wing, didn't get any stints at center. Played pretty good, but the point production wasn't necessarily there yet. He started to get things going, and then they sent him back down to San Diego and put out a public message that the reason they're sending him down is to start his transition to center. Because he was playing wing in his first few games in San Diego as well. So they weren't even trying him at center down there. In that second stint, he became a center. He was a top six center for San Diego. The point still came. The Ducks wanted to keep him under that certain limit where he wouldn't have, I think, that extra year of UFA status. I don't remember the exact rule, but they ended up bringing him up so he could play the remainder of the season. And he played the remainder of the season centering Maxim Comtois and Troy Terry. And for that last, I think it was 15, 16 games, that was easily the Ducks' best line. And he his production increased drastically compared to the first stint with the Ducks earlier in the year. And I can't see how they don't have him at center to start the year and paired with those two guys. And if you're looking at fantasy upside and, and, you know, call the race this year, the chemistry that they had in that last little run of of 15 to 20 games at the end of the year, if they can pick that up at the beginning of the year, this is going to be the Ducks top line and come to, I was the Ducks top goal scorer last year. I wouldn't pass, put it past Trevor Zegras to potentially be the Ducks' top point getter this year with, you know, Ryan Getzloff obviously getting older. Adam Henrique had a bad year. Ricard Raquel hasn't got back to the same form. That's going to be the Ducks' go-to offensive weapon at five-on-five and on the power play, too. Yeah, it's going to be a big challenge for him to keep doing what he's been doing so far. And like I said, that is uh, a steady and steep incline in his development. And I guess he's proven that he's beyond the NCAA level. He's beyond the AHL level. So uh, he's proven that he's good enough to be in the NHL. Now it's just a question of like, where does, when, when does the needle start leveling off? Because right now it's just pointing straight up north for him. And uh, it's pretty exciting. I think the upside is, is plenty of road left to go before he starts leveling off. Uh, I've also liked the same way that Jamie Drysdale's kind of done that. You know, he's just his draft year. He was one of the biggest risers in the in the draft year. Uh, he was like the top ranked. Sorry, he wasn't one of the fastest. Really. He was one of the top ranked uh, defensemen in his entire draft season. Um, as a an NHL draft eligible player, he was invited to Team Canada's selection camp for the World Juniors, and. Um, and played his way onto the team ahead of NHL drafted players. And then, you know, no HL last season. Uh, he was very impressive in the AHL, got promoted to the NHL. And uh, what stands out to me about his NHL games is that he was getting defensive zone starts and getting a lot of minutes in the NHL. Uh, his plus minus kind of wasn't great. Um, and his point totals were, were good, but not great. But I mean... 18, 19 years old, whatever he is, and uh, playing in the NHL, 
that's that's pretty impressive. I like the way that he keeps trending up and exceeding expectations, quite frankly. Yeah, it, it, for me, it's the confidence that, you know, for an 18, 19-year-old defenseman who's played, a hand, you know, 20 games or so in the AHL and before that played in the Ontario Hockey League to go and step into the NHL, play big minutes, like you said, with the Ducks on a team that's not great and it doesn't have a great defensive structure either and it's kind of been known for uh, not being the, the greatest in front of John Gibson. He impressed me beyond what I would have expected from him this year, even you know, knowing when the OHL canceled their season that he was going to either play AHL or NHL games. I, I didn't think he would adjust as quickly as he did. Like We, we knew his skating was going to take him far, but just the responsibility that he was given, he didn't shy away from it. He used his skating to his advantage at the NHL level. There wasn't really an adjustment that needed to be made there. And, you know, the offense, I think, will come. But, the you know, the one thing with young defensemen that you're always worried about when they step up is, is being able to adjust to the physicality and the speed of the game and, you know, be in the right position, make smart plays. And he has that already. Like, he looked like an NHL defenseman. Uh, he's still a kid, and, and there was some mistakes here or there. But I, I feel like the offense is going to come in eight points in 24 games for, you know, an 18-year-old defenseman in, in a very bad team. Is not bad, and and I think he can improve on that. It's going to take some time, and and he's going to have to get the right players, you know, around him as well. Uh, but you think maybe this year, if he gets paired with a guy like Campus Lindholm, has a bit more freedom offensively to to kind of get things going on on that side of the game. If the Ducks' power play improves minimally from being basically league worst all year, you know, he's going to be a big part of that as well. And obviously. Him and Zegers connecting on the power plays is going to do wonders for his point totals as well. So he he's just a guy that I liked when they drafted him, and he's just grown on me ever since, just with the progression and how quickly he's gotten to the NHL. And you know, I think there's no question that he's definitely not going back to Erie this year. He's playing with the Ducks. Uh, I I can't see them sending him back to the OHL. He has nothing left to prove at that level. It is. It's baffling to to think that that technically that is an option. He's young enough and he's got yeah. one more season of eligibility for the OHL left. But uh, I think that would be, you know, I, I'm a big uh, believer in players should uh, should stay in the OHL as long as as long as they need to uh, and get all the time that they can and dominate at that level. And uh, I, you know. I think he's ready to to move on now. I, I don't think there's much question about that. There would be no advantage to sending him back to the OHL. I don't think he has anything to learn there. Uh, he processes the game uh, on a mental level fast enough to to keep up with the pace of the NHL. Uh, I think it actually could even maybe stunt his growth if he sent him back to junior. He's got NHL caliber coaches in the NHL, so the coaching is better. Uh, you know, all you're really doing is risking an injury if he goes back to the OHL. So I don't think there's any question as well that he'll be uh, he'll be a, a top four at least this season pairing defenseman for the Ducks. So that's our, our top two. Uh, our top three are the same, too, as a matter of fact. Uh, so we're both on point with number three being Mason McTavish. Now, here's a guy that I was pretty bullish on at the start of the, the season and uh, he got kind of snubbed pretty hard early on in the year on a lot of people's draft rankings and lists. You know, they, he was in like the, the the 20 range on a lot of draft boards or even even later, actually. And uh, I was like, man, don't don't sleep on Mason McTavish just because he hasn't played. You know, he's he's still going to be great. He's he's a he's a top 10 pick, in my opinion. And uh, then he started playing in in Europe, and he was okay over there. He was good, a little slow starting, but he kind of, you know, played a good physical game and at the pro-level hockey. And then the U18 tournament really turned on the Jets there. And uh, I think he vaulted up the a lot of the draft boards and all the way up to third overall. I'm not sure how much of Mason, Mason McTavish you were able to watch last year outside of the U18s. You certainly would have seen him play the year before with the Peets, where I saw him play. And um, do you think that third overall is a bit of a reach here, or are you pretty happy with with the guys that they passed on to take McTavish? I've I've come around on the pick. Uh, you know, at the time, 
and you know, I personally thought there was a few better options there. I think you know, William Eklund ended up going seventh overall to San Jose. I liked him at that spot to to add to the creativity that they already have in Trevor Zegers. Uh, there's obviously the few defensemen there, Luke Hughes. You know, thinking about a Luke Hughes, Jamie Drysdale pairing in, in the NHL was was something that uh, obviously looked you know almost too good to pass up. But I've come around on it because I, I like the potential fit for Mason McTavish in this team around the pieces that the Ducks already have. You know, there, there's no question they need goal scorers. Trevor Zegers is going to be the main facilitator of this team for the foreseeable future. They have another guy that we'll get to eventually in Jacob Perot, who I think, is, you know, if he hits his ceiling, is going to be a key goal scorer for this team. But there was no question they need another guy who could put the puck in the back of the net. And, and when you look at Mason McTavish, I think he had one of the best shots in the draft. His, his shot, I think, already right now is at an NHL level. Uh, and, and it's just going to continue to grow from there and, and add some power and accuracy to it when he builds on on what is already a pretty big frame for a kid in the OHL. But he, I, I like the pick a lot more now. Uh, I, I think, you know, he, like you said, at the under-18 tournament, he just took it to a whole other level. And like a lot of the OHL guys this year, he was hurt by the fact that they couldn't play. And, you know, imagine him going back to Peterborough this year. And if, you know, it was in top five in OHL scoring, what that would have done for for his draft stock. I don't think we'd be looking at Mason McTavish getting drafted third overall and saying it was a reach if he had to produce the way we probably would have expected him to in, in a full OHL season this year. But I, I just like everything he brings. I think obviously there's some concerns around his skating. And for Ducks fans, it's a little bit of PTSD because the last time we drafted a big power forward from Peterborough was Nick Ritchie, 10th overall. And we all know how that kind of panned out. So there's a there's a little bit of, of that going on and why a lot of Ducks fans are concerned about Mason McTavish. But all you have to do is go look at his clips when he was with Peterborough, even at the under-18s this year and, and overseas in, in Switzerland. And, and you'll see that he's a completely different player. Uh, than what Nick, Nick Ritchie was even in his draft year. He, he's just going to be a future leader for this team, a, a great compliment to a player like Trevor Zegras. And my only real question with him is whether he ends up being a center and can be a one-two punch down the middle with Zegras, or maybe he ends up shifting to the wing and, and kind of loading up a top line with Trevor Zegras as well. Yeah, I like him in the center position as well. Uh, if you project, you know, four or five years down the road, having a, a one-two of in their prime, Trevor Zegras and, and Masik McTavish, they both bring uh, a lot of elements that will make them a pretty formidable team, right? Like you win with, with strength down the middle, and uh, that could be pretty strong, both physically and offensively. Um, I think it's I think it's a great pick. I wouldn't have turned up a uh, turned my nose at at passing on him and taking some other players. I think you know time will tell if he was worth third overall or if they kind of missed the boat on on some of the other kids that were on the board still at three. But uh, it does give them a very nice uh, dynamic of centers down the middle. And um, from a fantasy perspective, I really like McTavish if you're in uh, multi cat leagues as well, right? Because I think yeah. he's gonna he's gonna provide you with all the stats: face off wins, hits, goals. You name it, uh, he'll do it. Be like a hopefully a Jamie Ben type fantasy player. You got a guy, guy yeah. that fills the stat sheet everywhere. I mean, obviously, I would love that if he turned out to be that type of guy. But yeah, he he certainly does it all, and and it's really enticing and not surprising that uh, a guy like Bob Murray would be attracted to, uh, you know, the play style of a guy like Mason McTavish. Yeah, I think that's exactly what you've got with him. So. Um... I think you're going to love him. Uh, I think it's going to be a while, though. He's got two more seasons of, of OHL eligibility, this one coming up, and then one more. And I think he's going to play both of those out. Um, and then it would be, you know, bigger physical players tend to take a little bit more time to develop. I would be patient with him and maybe even give him a third season uh, in the AHL. So two in the O and one in the A, and then uh, and then see where, where you're at with him. Uh, so he could be a bit of a... Bit of a long-term project here, which uh, kind of made me want to put him down on my list a little bit. But despite the fact that I think you're looking at a few years before you're realizing his potential, his potential is 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 so high that I kept him at three. Yeah, you, you just have to that that potential and what he could eventually become 
uh, you know, a, a, another year will kind of maybe change my mind. Obviously, if he has a down year, then and some guys like that we have at four, five, and six year could jump up. But uh, I think, yeah, just on raw potential and what this guy could become, he he was kind of an obvious three. I know we talked about Zegers and Drysdale going back and forth on them, but there's you know there's a tier down from them, and it's McTavish. And I think underneath McTavish, there's another tier. I think he he holds down that three spot pretty easily. Uh, I would agree. Uh, that's that's a fair assessment. Uh, so let's talk about that next tier. I think it's a two-player tier. We've got the same two players, but in reverse order. So at number four, I've got the goalie, Lucas Dostal, and you've got Jacob Perot. And then uh, I've got Perot at five, and you've got Dostal. So let's talk about these guys. We'll just start with the goalie. Um, I had him at four because I think he's a little bit closer. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, he had a, a good season last year and i look at the ducks depth chart i think he's a john gibson injury away from from getting an audition with the team and uh i think if give him that ball he just might run with it um what do you like about dostal i i love everything about him i I think he's been severely underrated when you know you look at a lot of the goalie rankings and top goalie prospects around the league over the last couple years it's not like he hasn't played well like he was one of the best goalies and in, in for one season was the best goaltender in the top league in Finland. He won the award. Like he was the best goaltender in that league on a team that wasn't that great. And they hemorrhaged a lot of shots and he was leading in all categories in that league. And, you know, there's always that worry about an adjustment period coming over from Europe and into North America, but he comes over to San Diego and starts just phenomenally. You know, one of the best goaltenders in the league through, I think, the first eight or ten games. You know, he he cooled down a bit and had a, a struggle for the midpoint of the season. And then near the end of the year, he got back to that beginning season form and, and finished really strong for San Diego. Just didn't get enough support from the rest of the team. But I, I like everything about him. And, and when you think, you know, what could John Gibson's long-term projection be for this team and, and you know, whether they keep him or get rid of him eventually, it's nice to know you have a guy of Lucas Dossel's caliber behind him uh, he, he's just one of those goaltenders that is rarely refined for his age and and to kind of you know float through the pro levels that he has so far uh, is pretty remarkable I, I think he's just so calm he's really out of position he, he's just a guy that doesn't get rattled and it reminds me a lot ironically of John Gibson and and John Gibson you know didn't have the same path but he's got that Carey Price-esque ability to just not get rattled by anything and I think Lucas Dostal has that. And I think all top goaltenders obviously have that ability. But it's nice to see from a guy in his first season in North America have that and come out and, and, and be able to kind of bounce back from some adversity this year. So I love him a lot. I, I bounced back between having him at four and five. And ultimately, I just kind of went for for upside in the team and where these guys could eventually slot in. And, and Dostal only really slips to five just because of the fact the Ducks have a guy like John Gibson. And, and unless they trade him, he's kind of the foreseeable number one, at least for the next couple of years. Well, there's no question he's the starting goalie in the incumbent and his contract runs through 26-27. So that is going to be a really tough nut for Lucas Dostal to crack. Um, but like I said, Gibson's got a, a tendency to get injured so yep. there's a possibility that Dostal could could find himself getting you know a month audition when when Gibson's injured with whatever his latest ailment is and then kind of proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's an NHL starting goalie and then you could have a tandem situation perhaps yeah we're, we're all f- too familiar Ducks fans with the tandem situations had a lot yep. of them over the years with Hiller and Anderson and then Anderson and Gibson kind of gone away from a bit now with with Gibson and Miller for the last few years but uh you're right like Lucas Dostal is one injury whether it's to Gibson or even Anthony Stolarz from getting a shot at the NHL level and and not even an injury like Anthony Stolarz by no means has a guaranteed roster spot if if Lucas Dostal continues to play the way he did last year uh to at least get a couple looks this year and from what I've seen from Lucas Dossel, he's not one to pass up on the opportunity. So if he gets a start or two next year, I think he's going to prove to everybody that he deserves to be at that level sooner rather than later. Right. I think Stolarz is a he's a backup goalie. I don't think he's got starting upside potential in his in his career anymore. So if there's an injury to Gibson, I think they look to Dostal to be the starting goalie and then say, Stolarz, you just keep on doing what you're doing as the backup. 
Uh, let's talk about the other guy we were jostling between fourth and fifth here. Uh, that would be sniper winger uh, uh, Jacob. I almost called him Yannick. Jacob Perot. <laughs> uh, show him my age there. Show him my age. Uh, so right wing sniper got a hell of a shot. Um, the big wart on his game is uh, when he doesn't have the puck. That's what he's got to figure out in order to make it to the NHL, uh, which is why I had him down one under Dostal. I just I just didn't see any big warts in Dostal's game. His challenge is just John Gibson, whereas Jacob Perot, I think he's got a, a developmental challenge to get over, and then he's got to crack the roster, and there's plenty of competition on the wings. Uh, do you just think that his offensive upside is, is enough to move the needle? Yeah, that that's it for me. Is is I think he has all the offensive tools to be you know a dominant goal scorer at the NHL level. You know, scratch the surface of thirty goal potential per season. I I just think you know when he was drafted, he pretty much had the best shot in the draft, maybe outside of of Alexander Holtz. But he is just that good of a scorer, and we we didn't really see it in San Diego because he only had three goals in twenty seven games, but the the goals that he did score. You could see that shooting ability. I remember one uh, one of his goals, he, he kind of went down on the left side and just fired a backhand from the far corner and, and beat the goalie top shot, uh, top side, top corner. Uh, you know that that just shows his shooting ability. He came out of the draft as a guy who not only has a deadly wrist shot, but you know one of the best backhanders we've seen in, in a long time, and he can kind of score from anywhere. So for for me, pure upside on what he could do for this team on the power plays is being that kind of that weapon and a guy who can just be the goal to goal scorer with a guy like Trevor Zegers, potentially he, he definitely ticks the boxes for me there, but you are right. He, he does have some things to work on when he doesn't have the puck, you know, his skating has been questioned by some people. I don't think it's as bad as it's maybe made out to be, but he does need to work on, on that side of his game as well. And what makes me worried a little bit about his eligibility next season is he, he has to go back to the Ontario hockey league and play for Sarnia where I think he'd almost be better to stay in the AHL to work on that side of his game and get kind of used to the pro level and, and working on his game off the puck. Whereas when he goes back to Sarnia, he's going to be one of the best players and, and one of the best goal scorers in the league easily. And he might be able to take his foot off the gas a little bit, which is what we saw last time he was in Sarnia. Just kind of a, a I don't call it lazy, but a lackadaisical kind of play from him where he knew he was the best player out there and he knew what his job was to do. So I am a bit worried about him going back there and, and maybe taking a step back on, on the kind of things he needs to uh, see some development in. He may not go back to Sarnia. As a matter of fact, the OHL made a, a special amendment rule where if a player uh, played 20 or more games in the American hockey league last year, they can return to play a full season in the American hockey league. Oh, perfect. So, disregard yeah. me then <laughs> well he still might i mean it's, yeah. the, it's up to the ducks to decide how they want to manage him and if they think he'd be better off served here or there um i think the choice would be clear i think it would be back to the ahl where you know he can be monitored closely by you know head coach joel bouchard and and the director of player development francois Beauchemin. and uh, you know they can get their their chops into him and and really work out the the warts in his defensive game because I don't think he's got much to learn offensively. He's got the shot. He's got the the vision offensively. That's that's not a problem. That's translatable to the NHL now. Uh, so where is he going to learn to play defense better in the American Hockey League or in the OHL? And I, to me, that answer is crystal clear. It's the American Hockey League where the pace is much faster. It'll be more challenging for him to play defense uh and i think it'll it'll push him to be more nhl ready faster playing a full season in the ahl um so we'll see how that goes um you know the ducks are are pretty patient with their player development not like some other teams so uh, you know i like i like the upside there he is fifth on my list as well so after the top five we've got the next out of the next five we've got Four out of the five same players, but they are like all over the place. So uh, I'm not sure where we want to go from here. Um, you know, the guy I've got ranked sixth, you've got ranked ninth, and the guy you've got ranked sixth, I've got ranked eighth. Um, so we can kind of go wherever you want to go here. Let's, uh, you know, guest's choice. Who do you want to talk about next? Yeah, I actually kind of do want to talk about the guy you have at six in, in Jackson Lacombe because he, he was a guy that like 
I've gone back on my list and looked at it a couple times, and he's a guy I feel like I, I maybe was a little bit short-sighted on where I think he does deserve to be at least one or not, or if not two spots a little bit higher because just because of the production, he you know the the progress he took this year and and the way he increased his production at the NCAA level, like he went from being a guy right out of out of high school where the Ducks took a big risk on him, his game was really raw, but you saw the offensive potential there. And he comes into his first NCAA season, puts up 13 points in 37 games, plays kind of a bottom pair role with the University of Minnesota. And he comes into his sophomore season this past year and all of a sudden jumps up 21 points in, in 27 games. He's playing top pairing minutes. He's on the power play. He just looked like a more confident and comfortable player. And, and I know we're used to seeing that from guys. You know, freshman seasons are tough, especially for, you know, guys not named, you know, Trevor Zegers and Jack Eichel and those types of guys. But it, it was, you know, you're, it's the progression you're looking for, right, from any player uh, to the next, from one season to the other. And, and I think he really played on his strengths of being a, a skilled puck-moving offensive defenseman. But not only that, I think he worked a lot on the defensive side of his game. And he, he's becoming a much more refined player than when, obviously, he was drafted out of high school. And, and that gives you some hope for the future that this could be a steal for the Ducks and, and, you know, where they got him at, that he's projecting more and more to be a top four defenseman at the NHL level with some decent offensive upside. Yeah, I think his uh, his stock is on the rise pretty fast he had a nice breakout season like you said uh his point totals went from you know as a as a freshman to a sophomore from 13 to 21 and in 10 fewer games uh earned himself a spot on the american world junior roster that's pretty nice feather in his cap helps build him some confidence he'll be back with uh, the golden gophers this season for another year but i wouldn't be surprised if he turns pro after his junior season here the other thing i like about him is when i look at uh, the ducks on capfriendly.com they only have like two defensemen under contract beyond 2223 and Cam Fowler and Kevin Shattenkirk so you know the door is pretty wide open if if he can fast track his way into a professional position and sign a contract in a year or two he could find himself on the ducks blue line yeah he he definitely has a bit more of an open path then especially some of the forwards we've talked about and, and that we'll get to later on this list. And, you know, Hampus Lindholm, whether he comes back or not, I think there's starting to be some questions around that with him going into a contract year this upcoming season. I think a couple seasons ago you would have said it's a no-brainer, but you look at some of the contracts that were signed this past offseason, I think Lindholm is going to look at guys like Heiskanen and, and others that sign contracts and, and try and get around 8 or $9 million, uh, because of how much he means to this team. And I don't know if the Ducks are going to go that way. And, and if they end up trading him during this season or at the deadline, you know, that opens up a, a huge spot for guys like Jackson Lacombe and, and you know, others will get to uh, eventually some of the other defensemen in this Ducks prospect pool. And, and I think Lacombe could be at the top of the list of a guy to really jump in in the next couple of years that you don't really expect. And that's pretty crazy for a guy who was drafted out of high school to play three years in college and then jump right into the NHL and, and be in potentially a top four spot for this team. And you know, I don't, I don't think he necessarily replaces what Hampus Lindholm brings to this team. But when you look at the offensive, you know, options going forward of being Drysdale and Lacombe and quick, fast, uh, young, skating defensemen, you know, that's the way the NHL is trending. And I think he really fits the mold there and could be a valuable piece for the Ducks a lot sooner than I would have expected him to be. Yeah, and let's move on and talk about the guy that you had at number six, who I think you could just say exactly what you just said about him. You could say the same <laughs> things on Olin Zellweger. Uh, you have him ranked at six where I've got Lacombe. I have him a little bit further down at eight. Uh, I think the reason why I have him a little bit further down is, you know, it's it's an age thing. He's a little bit younger. He's got two more seasons of WHL eligibility, and and then he'll be playing some AHL hockey in all likelihood. Um, but he's, you know, very similar. He's a little bit undersized. He's a he's this really fluid skater. He's good at carrying the puck and, and transition. I think there's a lot of upside there because he plays defense the way it's played in the NHL now. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, I think I might be, you know, a victim of the small sample size here in, in the progression, and and I'm willing to, 
you know, go back, you know, go back and look at this in, in, in a couple of years and, and definitely eat crow on it if I'm wrong. But you, you look at you had the fact he had 13 points in 11 games after having 12 and 58 the season prior to that, still being, you know, one of the youngest players in the draft, like you said. If he comes out in a full WHL season this year and puts up a point per game, uh, you know, I, I would look at once Zegers and Drysdale obviously graduate, him moving up significantly on this list. You know, that that is some some crazy production and and uh, increase in in his offensive numbers year on year, and and not something you normally see from young defensemen. So, you know, the skating is obviously the big thing. He was hailed as one of the best skaters in the draft. He was one of the highest risers on people's boards near the end of the year just because of the numbers he put up. He had a good under eighteen tournament, same as McTavish. You know, it's it's obvious the Ducks were were watching that tournament pretty closely, but. You know, the the big thing, and I think one of the reasons maybe he didn't jump into the first round is his size, and, and that's always going to be a factor for a lot of these players. But he, he just does everything the way a modern defenseman plays, like you had, you had said before. He he just has you know, that little bit of deception. He's got a good first pass. He can carry the puck up the ice. He uses his skating to his advantage offensively and in the defensive zone where, you know, the, the if you're going to be an undersized defenseman, you've gotta utilize that skating ability in the defensive zone to to get out from tough situations and he does that so well at such a young age that i i just can't pass up on that potential upside now i am betting a lot like i said on the offensive production being kind of what it was at, at the end of last year and and hoping that continues into next year and if it does man the the sky is the limit for this kid you know it's not uncommon for a player to have an extreme an offensive explosion going from his 16 year old in his rookie season in, in CHL hockey. Yeah. Uh, and then, and in his draft year having a breakout and then, you know, it kind of usually tends to to level off a little bit after that where they've established themselves and they just kind of round out their game a little bit, get a little bit better. Uh, but I think that I would not be surprised if that's exactly what happens with Zellweger where, you know, he has, you know, a point to gain, sort of upside throughout this season uh, as a defenseman over in the dub. I like, you know, that he's undersized isn't a problem for me because he's such a good skater. He sees the ice so well. He anticipates plays. He's a very deceptive, you know, he can head fake his way out of, you know, body checks and 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 be shifty and elusive and, and dodge the contact. Might be a challenge for him, you know, plowing the the crease in front of the net because he's just maybe not big enough and strong enough to to physically shove a guy out of the way or to to win those stick battles in front of the net and he might give up a couple tips and deflections that way but you know you take the good with the bad with players like that and you know those kind of players that can make those long bomb breakaway passes from you know in the corner of their end to the center ice dot or just grab the puck and look up and see a lane and just plow right through it. And next thing you know, you've got a four on three the other way. Uh, so I, I like him a lot too. Uh, I probably should have moved him a little bit higher than where I have him on my list. Uh, let's move on and talk about some of the forwards. Um, next guy you have on your list at number seven, I had at number 10. I think he's sort of a boomer bust kind of guy. Let's talk a little bit about uh Sasha Pastajov, uh, spit of a sniper, but he's got some holes in his game. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I, you know, for for me at seven, and and the reason I had him there is just kind of the pure upside, right? When you talk about boom or bust, and if this guy booms, you know, he's a top six forward and, and a, a very valuable player offensively for the Ducks. And if he busts, then you know, he just potentially doesn't even make it to the NHL level. I think that the gap is is that big with a guy like this, you know, the, the skating is, is kind of the big question mark for him. And I, I think, you know, the ducks have done well in, in developing players who've had skating issues in the past. And obviously, like we'd mentioned earlier, they're working with, a, with Jacob Perot on his development as well as a, is kind of a similar toolkit to what Pastuyev has in the sense that, you know, the shot and the playmaking ability are the hallmarks of his game. And the skating is the, is the real question mark here. But I, I think if he can hit, that ceiling or get close to it he, he's an nhl player you know without you know skating problems aside I, I think you know that offensive talent if it if it's as good as we think it is he's going to be a valuable player for this team you know he, he's a creative playmaker he's one of the kind of most skillful players in the draft he, he just 
the, the things he can do and, and the way he can take on defenders one-on-one, there weren't too many guys in front of him that could really be able to pull off some of the moves that he does. And I was surprised to not see him get taken in the first round just based on, on that alone. And he also has one of you know an underrated shot. I, I think he was one of the better shooters in the draft. And, you know, that's what the Ducks need in wingers right now. They have a lot of, you know, two-way physical wingers. They've got some playmaking guys. Obviously, Trevor Zegris is, is kind of top of the list in, in playmakers for them. But outside of Jacob Perot, they didn't really have some go-to goal scorers in the pipeline. And, you know, you look at the, the forwards, the two forwards they drafted with their first picks in the 2021 draft, you get two of the better goal scorers in the draft in, in McTavish and Pastuyov. So there was a real need for a player like him. And and I like the Ducks, you know, with their third pick in the draft to go for that boomer bust type guy. I think he's more boom than bust. And the Ducks, I think, agree because not only did they draft him, but they've already signed him to his ELC. Mm-hmm. So, you know, typically US and DTB players go into the NCAA um after they've been drafted but he's not able to do that because he's a signed player now so he'll be actually pretty close to your neck of the woods playing with the guelph storm in the ohl so you'll be able to keep a close eye on him there and i think his skating deficiencies while glaring enough to keep him out of the first round i think he's a first round talent um that fell to the third round because his skating problems that's a correctable deficiency you can coach that out of a player if he is motivated and committed enough you can you can fix that what you can't teach is how he can score goals uh, and how his his skill level is so high and the things he can do with the puck and shoot the puck and whatnot those are harder to teach than to teach someone how to be a better skater um so i would not be surprised if you know he made strides in his game uh kind of like was reminds me a lot of jason robertson you know, Kingston yep. Frontenac's prolific score, blown away by his shot and his vision, his ability to handle the puck and and make and take passes. Um, but he was just such a clunky, choppy skater. In his first two seasons in the OHL, it looked like he was wearing ski boots, not skates. And <laughs> he made it, you know. He's, he's an NHL top six player now, and I think, you know, he's a Calder candidate. He's going to be a star. Uh, he was a second-round pick. Uh, where was he a late first-round pick? I forget where he was picked. But anyways, so hopefully the Ducks got the same sort of similar value uh, here with with Pasajov or however you pronounce his name. Yeah, I, I think it's such an interesting decision to skip going to Notre Dame and the NCAA and go to Guelph, the Ontario Hockey League. And, and you know, whether it was his decision or advised to make the decision or not, uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how he does at that level. Because I think the expectations are now a lot higher than it would have been in a freshman season at, uh, at Notre Dame where, you know, whether he was going to play top six minutes or not, that remains to be seen with Notre Dame. But, you know, I, I don't think anybody was expecting a point per game freshman season for him, uh, especially with some of his, his skating issues. And if he had have got to that level, we would all been like, OK, this guy's the real deal. I think the expectations now for him in, in Guelph are, are to be, you know, a top player, not only for them, but a top player in that league. And I don't know whether that's good or bad. I, I think, in, you know, he has to perform well there for the expectations to be kept the same. If he struggles, I think it's a lot more detrimental, at least to the perception of him as a player, than if he was to struggle with Notre Dame. If he can't get it done in the OHL, his his stock could take a hit. There's no question about it. I have every confidence that he'll light the lamp just fine for Guelph. Uh, okay, so another player that we both had ranked, and there's only one left, is Sam Colangelo. I had him at 9. Uh, you had him right around there at 10. Uh, so Colangelo, product of the uh, Chicago Steel from the USHL, he's going to the Northeastern Huskies. Uh, looked pretty good with Team USA at the World Juniors. Um, what do you like about Colangelo? I think for him, uh, he reminds me a lot of Max Jones, who's with yeah. the Ducks already right now, and and kind of a big physical player. You know, at least when Max Jones was in junior, you saw a lot of skill, a good shot, a lot of speed, and, and I think Colangelo brings a mix of of that in a similar player. He's a big kid. He's got a really good shot. He can be a, a nice weapon on the power play uh, in kind of that Ovechkin slot or in front of the net. He can do either. 
And, you know, the real thing that, that kind of sucked for him this year was the injury problems that kept him to just eight games for Northeastern. And obviously the fact that they also didn't play as many games because uh, of the pandemic as well. So we just didn't get to see as much as him as we liked. And three assists in eight games doesn't look great. But how how healthy and how fit was he in those eight games that he played is the big question. But I, I think, you know, this season is going to be huge for him. And on whether he shoots up this list or, or falls off it and, and what he can do at that level, because, you know, he's got the size and the skill to, to do well in the NCAA. You know, he's just a, a big kid with a heavy shot, but he's got that kind of stick handling ability where in front of the net makes him just so dangerous. You know, he's a guy you just like to from either behind the net or, or just get him the puck in those tight areas. And he'll surprise you with, with how quick he can kind of pull off a toe drag and, and snipe a top corner on the goalie. So I'm, he, he's one of the guys I'm, I'm really going to look to get some eyes on this year and, and see that progression because I'm expecting him to be a valuable player for them this year and, and see that progression year on year that we didn't necessarily get to see from him last year. Yeah, I think he could be a, a sleep a sleepy good prospect for them. We both had him kind of down a little low, I think because it was just a bit of a lost season for him, a bit of a write-off, basically. Um, so we'll see how he rebounds this year uh, with a full slate of games, hopefully with, with Northeastern in the NCAA. Uh, okay, so two players that made uh, our lists, but not each other's. I had Braden Tracy at seven. You didn't have him ranked. And then you had Henry Thrun at eight, and I didn't have him ranked. And I think the difference there is I might have put a little bit more of a fantasy slant on my rankings where that resonates a little bit more with a guy like Tracy, who's an offensive winger, versus Henry Thrun. Uh, what are your thoughts on, like, why why would you put him, have put him, I don't want to speak for you, why would you put him on the top ten and, and not Tracy or someone else? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with on that side of things. I think if you're looking at fantasy potential, I, I think it makes sense why Braden Tracy kind of shoots up this list because of, of the type of player, if he hits the ceiling, he could project to be. But for, for me, looking at kind of, you know, upside of making the Ducks roster and, and just being a, a valuable piece to the team, not necessarily in, in, in the fantasy side of things, I like the strides that Henry Thren has taken. Uh, I think, you know, he didn't necessarily have a huge role with the, the USNTDP when he was there. He was kind of a role player, asked to play a defensive game because of the offensive weapons they had on the blue line in front of him. He goes to Harvard, has an impressive freshman season where he puts up 21 points in 31 games. Harvard doesn't play hockey at all last year, so he ends up kind of going and playing for the USHL where he almost puts up a, a point per game, which I know for a player maybe of his age and his caliber isn't necessarily impressive, but where offense hasn't been the hallmark of his game throughout his career, it was nice to see him develop that side of the game because I think that's the one thing he needs to really work on to get to the NHL level because he already has the size He's an excellent two-way defender. He, he plays a mature style for only being 19, 20 years old. And he just has this kind of underappreciated ability to kind of defend the rush and, and close out you know, plays in, in the defensive zone and, and you know, anticipate will play very well. And, and, and I think he's just always been effective at that. But now adding in the mobility that he added in and, and working on his skating and his first pass is a lot better. And he's become a weapon with his shot from the blue line. Just all that progression we've seen from him really, you know, kind of makes me like him a lot more and, and why I have him there. Because I think he his floor now is is really a, a you know, a bottom pairing defenseman in the NHL. And just the rest of it hinges on his skating and his offensive upside, whether he can be a top four defenseman or not. Yeah, fair enough. I think uh, I think I like everything you're saying there um, for me, for Tracy. You know, he went back to the dub and scored a point a game with the uh, Royals, who was one of the worst teams in the CHL. So that was that was impressive. And he's aged out of the dub now, so he'll be going to play full-time with the Gulls next season. And I think the cup of coffee he had with them at the start of the season before the, the WHL got going, I think that'll serve him well. He'll be going into that with his eyes wide open, knowing exactly what the pace of the, the league is like, what the lifestyle is uh, for a professional hockey player, um, I think he'll be much more prepared for it. Uh, so I'll, I'll be looking for him to to have a better season in the AHL than he did last year. Um, 
He, he's a guy that can shoot up, right? Like if he has, it all hinges on how well he does. Because you know the cup of coffee he had in, in this in the AHL with the goals, he didn't get a lot of opportunities and had no points in twelve games. And if you didn't watch him play, and you didn't know where he played in the lineup, and you just looked at the numbers, you'd be like, "Oh man, like this is not good." You know, haven't seen the progression year on year in the WHL. He's always kind of hovered around a point per game and then just bombed in the AHL, and that would be concerning. But he played fourth line minutes with the goals. Yeah. This year he's going to be inserted into key situations for them. I think it's such a big year for him where I still believe the talent is there that he could have a really big year for San Diego and easily shoot back onto my list. Like I, I really do like him a lot. He was an honorable mention for me and it was, I only left him off just because I, I just haven't seen that next step that I was hoping for from him where, yeah, Victoria is a bad team, but you got to be that guy. I wanted him to be that guy. And he just, he just didn't get there for me. And maybe he isn't that guy, but and he needs to be supported a bit, but I, you know, a big season in San Diego for him this year could go a long way. Would he have been your 11th ranked prospect? Yeah, I, I think so. Just on, on upside, he you know, was flipping between him and, and probably Benoit Olivier group. But when we, when you look at offensive upside and if he does hit the ceiling that he, you know, he had out of the draft, I, I think he has to be at number 11. Well, I think we have the same top 12 then because uh, Thrun was my 11th and, and Bo Grew was was my 12th. Uh, I like Grew. I just I think his development hasn't um, hasn't progressed as much as I would have liked. So I think his ceiling now is like a third or fourth line NHL player, whereas when he was drafted, I thought his floor would be a third or fourth line. NHL player so he's not developing at a fast enough pace for me to to keep him in the top 10 list here uh, I haven't given up hope for him that he'll make it to the NHL and, and be an impactful player uh, but from a fantasy point of view if you're you know if you're looking for fantasy prospects uh, I think he's he's watch list caliber not really an owning caliber anymore depending on the depth of your of your league uh, unless you've got the multicats, because he should get you, he should get you some of the greasy points too, right? Besides just the odd point uh, and faceoff wins, if he sticks at center, he should get you some some hits and blocks as well, because he's a bit of a gritty player. Yeah, if he ever does make it to the NHL, uh, I, I think if you have a league that has that has shorthanded points in it, and you want some some <laughs> flyer to win one category, he would be the guy because at every level he just seems to get it done shorthanded. Did it for San Diego last year. Did it for the Mooseheads and Moncton in the QMJHL. Just one of those players. Reminds me a lot of Andrew Cogdano and, and what he did for the Ducks shorthanded, where he's just kind of always a threat uh, because of his speed and, and his, you know, he wasn't the best finisher Andrew Cogdano was. And, and I think what Gruel maybe lacks in the speed compared to Cogdano, he has in, in that finishing ability in front of the net. It's not a dynamic goal score by any means, but. For for me, he's just he's just a player you know is going to be valuable at the NHL level because he's great defensively. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He has that offensive skill to you know finish plays and to be in the right spot. He's not dynamic offensively, but he's that guy you like to have on an energy third line and to throw out on your penalty kill unit and get a job done. And it's why I love him so much because I, I don't think the Ducks really have anybody else in their system that could do that. And every team kind of needs a player like that. And we look at the value placed on guys like Barkley Goodrow and, and, and uh, Blake Coleman yeah. and guys like that. Like he, he reminds me of a guy like that. And I think that's what he could be at the NHL level. And it's always a lot better to develop those guys in-house instead of going and paying, you know, three or four million dollars for <laughs> six or seven years for them. So I'm I'm happy about it. He, he, I like him a lot like I like Max Jones, where I don't think they're going to be top players for this team but they fill a role that nobody else does of being just really valuable depth pieces to what would hopefully be a cup contending team in the future i love max jones uh okay so but he's not a prospect so let's talk about a couple <laughs> more guys that uh kind of slipped out of the top 10 on our list here uh one that i really want to kind of pick your brain on is hunter drew he's a player that uh, i'm kind of just selfishly curious about finding out a little bit more about him. I'm starting to hear some good things about him. Um, tell me a little bit about Hunter Drew. Hunter Drew is just one of the most fascinating players I've ever watched develop. He right. He's a forward sometimes, and he's a defenseman other times. And, like, his time in the QMJHL, he was just 
this enforcer defenseman who sometimes played forward and, you know, 50 points in 61 games with 141 penalty minutes in his last year with Charlatan. And then he goes over to Slovakia uh, after the beginning of last year and puts up 111 penalty minutes in 20 games with 16 points as a defenseman. Like I know that league is notorious for a lot of penalty minutes, but like I've always just wanted to ask this guy, like how how he managed to be able to do that. And, you know, played defense most of the time for San Diego last year. A few games at Ford, but the Ducks just released their their training camp roster, and he's listed as a Ford. So I I have no idea what they plan to do with this guy, <laughs> whether it's a fourth line Ford or a defenseman or like that Brendan Smith type role for that, that Smith was for the Rangers last year. With some games he plays defense, and some games he plays Ford. I I just love him because he could be anything like he's not going to be a top player for this team but i just love the fact that he could eventually make the roster and be this just weird utility player for the ducks so i i have no idea what he's going to become uh whether he's going to make the nhl or not but i i hope he does just for a few games just so i can see him at the nhl level because he has all the makings to be kind of a modern day power forward kind of like tom wilson light type guy who just does everything uh, and even if he does turn out to be a Brendan Smith, I, I don't think it's the worst the worst thing in the world to have a player like that in your roster who can kind of play multiple positions. I was thinking Radko Gudis. Yes, that would be that would be like top top level upside for Hunter Drew would be Radko Gudis. I would love that. But can also play forward. Hell, let's just put him <laughs> at center, and then he can win some faceoffs and get me every category in my <laughs> fantasy league. Yeah. Um, Seems okay, like an I'm, offensive uh, Yanni Hockenpah would be nice. <laughs> yeah, I might not count on him for, for too many power play goals. <laughs> uh, one player that, that if he makes it, could provide all kinds of offensive upside. Um, and I've been pretty bullish on him, uh, but I'm kind of starting to cool my jets a little bit, uh, is Brogan Rafferty. So he'll be getting a new opportunity this season uh, in the Ducks organization coming over from Vancouver. Uh, I think he's a, a great example of a player that was terribly mismanaged with the taxi squad he spent the entire season on the taxi squad and hardly played any games didn't play ahl didn't play nhl didn't just didn't play uh and then they didn't qualify him and made him a free agent and the ducks snacked him up i don't think he has much chance of cracking their roster this season um but i really enjoyed watching him play live with utica the season before last um he is their number one defenseman, and it wasn't even close. And they had Ole Ulevi on their on their roster too, and it was it was Rafferty all night long. He was getting all the offensive zone starts, first unit power play. He was carrying the puck with authority up the ice. He didn't look like a, a liability defensively. Um, that that's when I was really bullish on him. I was like, man, this kid's like leading the league in scoring at one point as a rookie defenseman coming out of college, um, and then. Went totally cold last year. Uh, what what are your forecasting for the way that the Ducks are going to use him this year? What do, what do you think for him? You know, the, like I think with the fact that you know the Hunter Drew has been shifted to forward shows you you know what the plan is for Rafferty next year. Is obviously I think he's going to start the year with San Diego, and the the Gulls have a, a lot of good kind of young defensemen. Like Rafferty's twenty six. He's not necessarily old yet. Where he can't, you know, he's past the the time where you think he can make the NHL. I think he I think he still does have a shot. He's only played three games at the NHL level. And in the the one season he did play in Utica, like you said, he was exceptional. So I, I think there there is still some time there. And you look at the fact that the goals are going to have Josh Mahura, Rafferty, Benoit, Brendan Gooley, Axel Anderson, Cody Curran, Greg Pattern. Like they've got a pretty good core of defensemen down there. And I think Rafferty kind of tops the list for right-handed defensemen. And if he's played with maybe a guy like Brandon Gooley or Josh Mahura, I, I think he's going to do really well for San Diego. And, and the big thing he has going for him is, is he's a right shot defenseman. And, you know, the Ducks have obviously Kevin Shattenkirk and Jamie Drysdale and Josh Manson right now, but I don't know how much longer Josh Manson has left with the Ducks organization, there's obviously rumors that they would resign him, but he's going into a contract year just like Hampus Lindholm is. And if one or both of them are traded and Rafferty's having a good year with San Diego, I don't think it's out of the question that he could get a call up and play some games for the Ducks. 
Uh, I think obviously it all depends on on how well he's doing, but I think he has a better shot than Greg Pattern. I think he has a better shot than Axel Anderson on the right side of defense. I think maybe the only two players the Ducks would like to get a look at over him would be Brandon Gooley and Josh Mahura, but they've man, had their looks. Yeah, they've they've had their looks and and they they haven't nailed down a roster spot yet. And the Ducks have been willing to give guys like these chances in the past. And like I said, if Manson or Lindholm or both get moved. Rafty is going to get a shot, and if he could take advantage of that, they'll reward him, and, and he'll play the rest of the year. So I am I am pretty interested to see how he does it. Out of all the AHL, if you want to call it that, signings the Ducks made, he's the one I'm most interested in to see how he does. Same, since I own him in a couple of fantasy leagues. <laughs> Eddie, any other Ducks prospects you're, uh, you're overly excited about that we haven't talked about yet that you think deserve uh, some lip service here? Yeah, I, I think there's one more guy, uh, one guy that was kind of one of the honorable mentions on my list uh, outside of Tracy and Grew was Ian Moore, uh, you know, drafted out of high school, similar to Jackson Lacombe, played with the Chicago Steel this past season and started a bit slow and it was tough for him to really nail down a consistent roster spot. But then near the end of the season, he just started turning it on offensively and really just found, I think he got more comfortable in the league. It's a big step to come from high school and jump right into the USHL, even playing for a team as good as Chicago was. But, you know, he finished 24 points in 45 games. And I I was just impressed with the progress he made. And like like I've said for a lot of guys here, I think, you know, this upcoming season where he's going to be playing uh, for Harvard and trying to make that jump to the NCAA. It'll be really interesting to see how he does in his freshman season there and potentially playing with Henry Thrun, who will likely go back to Harvard if they end up playing hockey this year. So it'll be interesting to see how how that duo does and, and how they play at Harvard. And I believe Coronado and Farrell are both going to Harvard as well. So there'll be a nice kind of Chicago Steel re- reunion there. So it could be an easy transition for him to go in there and do well and, and get a nice spot off the bat. So he's a guy that, like Lacombe, I'm really interested to see that progression from high school, from the USHL to the NCAA. And he could he could impress a lot of people. And I know for the Ducks with right-handed shot defensemen, they're really intrigued to see how he does because outside of Jamie Drysdale, there aren't a lot of options for them in the pipeline for really good, young, dynamic offensive defensemen uh, on the right side of defense. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how he does. He was, would have been my, I guess you want to call it my number 14 uh, or number thir- number thirteen, sorry, uh, on my list. So I'm interested to see how how he does this year. Yeah, he was he was high on my honorable mentions as well. And I noticed that the Hockey News had him ten on their top ten ranking for for Ducks prospects in their magazine as well. All right, so Eddie from the Forever Mighty Podcast, uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast before we sign off here. Yeah, so. Tires. As uh, as everybody probably expects now, we are a podcast that focuses on the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, we've been going for the last two seasons here, so we maybe came in at the wrong time uh, of the Ducks uh, turnaround yeah. to, to not being so great of a team. But primarily, we we record post-game shows uh, during the regular season. So if you are a Ducks fan out there and just want to listen to, to four guys talk about the Ducks, uh, we are generally live after most games on Twitch. So... You know, we're usually breaking down the game and some of the big news uh, and what's going on with the Ducks at that time. And, you know, if, if there's any season to tune in, this is the one. There's a lot of exciting things uh, with the Ducks, obviously, centering around Zegers and Drysdale and some of the young guys coming up. So uh, if you want to find us, it is the uh, the Forever Mighty podcast and you can find everything out about us at ForeverMighty.com. Well, you guys can't be accused of being bandwagon jumpers, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know. We had plenty plenty opportunities <laughs> to jump off that one, but uh, <laughs> firmly in place now. Yeah, well, I think the uh, the ship's heading in the right direction there. You guys are a, a team on the rise. you got great young players on the roster already, uh, like Troy Terry, Sam Steele, Max Comptois, Max Jones. Uh, and then you've got all these players that we just talked about on the way. Um, so thanks very much for... For coming on the show, Eddie, and talking a little uh, a little Ducks hockey with me. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in and listening. It's good to be back. See you in about a week when I'm talking to Craig Morgan about the Arizona Coyotes and their top 10 prospects. Till then, keep your stick on the ice.